What's up, athletes? Zach Wagner here with another episode of the Resilient Athlete Project. On this episode, my friend Matt West joined me for round two. Those of you who are longtime listeners will recognize Matt. He came on, we had a great talk a while back, and I've been working a little bit more closely with him recently, especially talking about the topic of breath work, breath mechanics, breathing strategies, all that kind of stuff, which can be a bit of a rabbit hole. So we wanted to, I wanted to bring him on and actually go down that rabbit hole a little bit and talk a little bit more in detail about this. So keep in mind, this is meant to be a standalone podcast, but we also released a blog a couple weeks back that goes into some of this stuff, give you some specific exercises and strategies you can use. So we'll make sure that that is linked in the show notes. But we talk about a lot of things from why you should worry about and think about breathing mechanics, right? Why sympathetic and parasympathetic dominance matters and what that even is. And then we go into the three areas we really think breathwork can make a difference. We kind of start talking about how it can help you with the anxiety and the stress response and just touch on that. Um, Neither of us is really fully qualified to talk about treating anxiety or any of that kind of stuff. But as a PT on my, for my part and a trainer from Matt's, situation we both work with people who are you know managing stress so we talked about that and then we go into more of the physical components in terms of posture mechanics movement efficiencies but then also aerobic efficiency as well and how this can help you with that Uh, we also talked quite a bit about some resources so the blog i mentioned that's going to be linked in the show notes but there's also a few other things some books some websites some videos and stuff we talk about that will also be linked um this is a topic that we have a lot of interest in. We kind of dive into the weeds a bit here, but we always try to bring it back to some simple practices that you can use in your day-to-day life and training. Um, so without further ado, I bring you Matt West. Welcome back to the Resilient Athlete Project. I'm your host, Zach Wagner, and joining me today for round two is my friend Matt West. What's going on, Matt? Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me uh, back. It's a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we've had lots of conversations recently about breath work, mechanics, all this kind of stuff. And um, we're actually collaborating on a blog article too. Um, so if that's come out already, we'll make sure to link it or make sure we kind of keep you guys updated on that. But, um, you know, this is kind of meant to be a companion to that in some degree. That blog post is going to be just some real simple stuff you can take away to start to work in breath mechanics and that kind of stuff. And this conversation is more about just like, setting the stage, help people understand why it's important, all that. So, you know, we'll kind of see where it goes. Yeah, and I think um, just breathing in general is something that I've become fascinated with because it's such a simple thing, but it has such a profound effect on how we live and how we move. And, um, you know, reading James Nasser's book, Breath, kind of changed how I view everything. And that Mm -hmm. kind of like put me down this path on now, you know, I'm on now just trying to help people with this simple um, thing. And you know, there's a lot of different ways to go with it and it gets complicated. But for us, you know, we're just going to focus on some simple, actionable things that can really help people, um, you know, utilize some strategy. So I love it. I'm excited to talk about it. Cool. Yeah. And I read James, that James Nestor's book. It's right over here, actually, over my left shoulder where we're sitting. Um, and yeah, he does a cool, a good job. He's got some other stuff too that fascinated me about the, the free divers and all that kind of stuff. So well, I'll put that in the, in the show notes here as well because that's definitely one that he did a good job of uh, kind of introducing a lot of basics from a lot of different breathwork schools and all this kind of stuff. Um, 
But I think what we wanted, one thing we wanted to start with and cover was the whole concept of, I think some people hear like breath work, oh, I need to focus on my breathing. Like what, <laughs> what the hell do you mean? Like I, I breathe all day and then we've all come across trainers and stuff who will say like, you know, breathing, focusing on your breathing is stupid because you've done it your whole life. And I think that's true to some degree. And of course you've, you've quote unquote respirated your whole life because you're alive, right? And you're literally taking in oxygen, expelling carbon dioxide. But I think what we want to talk about more is about how being conscious of your breath at appropriate moments can help you in both physical and kind of mental ways. So I think, what do you say to people when, when you, they're kind of like a little bit skeptical about why, well, why should I focus on my breathing? That seems weird. And almost everybody's skeptical at first. Um, you know, I've started to utilize some breathing things at the beginning of workouts and at the end. Um, and how I kind of frame it is that we're really, most of us anyway, are using a small amount of our potential when it comes to movement capabilities and even just our ability to decompress and relate to our environment more efficiently and um, more safely. And so I usually just say, listen, you know, if we can incorporate some small training strategies when it comes to breathing and learning how to do it um, in this simple context, we can start to apply it, you know, subconsciously throughout our day and even specifically throughout our workouts. Um, So I just say, listen, like most of us aren't breathing um, in the most appropriate and efficient way, just in terms of how we're anatomically structured. And so if we can just kind of like learn a few things and really feel these things, that's the big thing is feel. Um, I try to have clients focus on how they can feel air coming in, how they expand. We're going to get into a little bit of an expansion and compression, but um, the goal is really just to feel things. And if you can, you know, breathe and maximize kind of the use of oxygen for our blood and for our tissues in our body and then unload like you said all that wasteful product uh, carbon dioxide then you know people will notice without even focusing on it too much how impactful it can be yeah so yeah absolutely and i think it's one of those things where breathing is a unique case because of course we're doing it all day every day and you don't obviously need to be focused on like laser focused on it all the time but it is a movement pattern. There's parts of your ribcage moves. Lots, there's a lot of stuff going on. And the same way when you learn how to, you know, if we want to improve a movement or we want to learn a new skill, right? It's not automatic right away, right? Obviously, there's a whole motor control learning process that happens. And the first part of that is, frankly, being really bad at it and or being really bad at the specific way you want to do it and then understanding sort of why that is the case, having a coach help you do that in many cases, and then paying attention to certain things. And as you get better at it, you pay attention to less and less. It becomes more and more automatic. And then eventually, great, at all times, you're doing things pretty sustainably. And I think what we'll, what we'll see a lot of times as, as trainers, and I see it a lot as a PT actually as well, is a cue for me that there's maybe a position we need to work on or that we might want to work on the breathing mechanics a bit is that when we put somebody under stress and their breathing totally falls apart, Right. It's not that you should be breathing the same way under stress and load as you are just sitting here like we are right now, but you should make sure you ha- you can maintain good mechanics and some control over it no matter where you are and use it as a tool. Yeah, and it affects right. everything we do. Um, you know, our breath affects the positions we get in no matter where we are, whether we're moving in a gym or we're just in no matter where we are. Um, and those shapes determine the positions we can get in and um, it really just kind of dictates uh, whether we can do things optimally and um, put ourselves in a position to succeed no matter what we're doing or 
Um, we open ourselves up to limitations and compensations and all these other things. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the goal is to educate people that through some really simple practices, we can um, become more conscious of it, build that practice in, and then just we start to move safely um, or more safely than we would have. Right. And, you know, more adaptable, all that kind of stuff. Right. And I think one thing I want everybody to keep in mind when they're listening to this is Matt and I nerd out on this stuff and we're going to go into some super detailed stuff because we're going to get excited about it. I want you to remember, though, that actually implementing this is very simple and should be. It can get more complex, but it doesn't have to. Right. The same way we want you when you're in the gym to be squatting, hinging, pushing, pulling. There's some real basic breath practices you can do that in some cases add zero extra time to your workout because you're just doing them while you work out. In other cases, add a handful of minutes that can make a big difference. So keep that in mind. And that's what we're going to try to bring it back to at the end is to make sure you understand that. But one concept I wanted to talk about was the whole, the idea of the way your body moves, the way your body kind of you navigate your environment is to protect itself, right? Your body will always do that first, especially your nervous system. So your brain and your spinal cord. If you think about the way your body is set up, it's to protect your brain and your spinal cord. Those are, without that kind of stuff, without health there, you literally can't live, right? Um, So you've got this big head with all these, you know, all this skull all around it and all this kind of stuff. And then when you get into your spinal cord, even more so, right? You've got spine around it. You've got rib cage, all those internal organs and that kind of stuff. And, the reason we, I say that is because when we think about being able to breathe in certain positions and why it might be important is your body will always, almost always think about respiration first. Meaning, cause if you can't breathe, you can't live. Exactly. Right? Yep. And obviously we need to eat, we need to hydrate, all that kind of stuff. But the only thing that we're really doing throughout the day that we have a little bit more conscious control of is breathing. Right. So if you can't, breathe comfortably in a certain position, your body, your nervous system will not let you go there because it's like, well, I have to prioritize breathing. Otherwise I'm going to literally die. Or at least that's the way your kind of nervous system is processing this. So we have to make sure you're comfortable in it. Right. And that's where some of this stuff comes up and why somebody, you know, sometimes it's a mobility restriction that they just can't get rid of. Um, because every time they get into the position, they go, okay, I'm stretching holding their breath and they're like, yep. uh, and they're struggling. And that's just a cue to your nervous system that this is bad. This is terrible. I shouldn't, shouldn't do this. Yep. So this is one of these rabbit holes that I probably shouldn't go down. Well, no, but the, the connection, the, the nervous system in the body and, and the impact that the nervous system has on everything that we do is so fascinating because a lot of the times when we have movement restrictions, people automatically go to, okay, um, I have a muscle you know, I have an imbalance, a joint imbalance or a muscle issue when, you know, a lot of the times and it's not like this doesn't go across the board, but there are many instances where there's just a block between Mm -hmm. the nervous system and what your nervous system will allow your body to do. And so, you know, when we train people, we want to get them to understand that, like the more you practice these things and put yourself in a position, um, and experiment with that diversity and variability, the, the more you're capable of and the more resilient you become. So when it comes to breathing, you know, um, we kind of got into this a little bit, but like we talk about parasympathetic and sympathetic, right? Mm-hmm. And those are the two ones, fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system is fight or flight. And our parasympathetic nervous system is relaxation and decompression, right? So we can use the breath to impact that all the time. And that's really how I like to help people understand it is when we inhale inhalation, is expansion and it's sympathetic, right? Your heart rate goes up, you start to get nervous or you start to ramp up. And then the long exhale where we compress, that's 
parasympathetic where we, we chill out. Um, and so it's fascinating to be able to help people understand that like you can manipulate how you react to your environment strictly through your breath, right? If you can gain more control over the inhale and the, end and the exhale, you're going to be able to navigate your environment with more success. Yeah, so. absolutely. That's an important concept we want to make sure everybody understands too is that this is something I think a lot of people we talked about, they, they sort of understand intuitively, but we want to put some words to it. So that parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system, right? That's a continuum, right? It's not, it's never that your sympathetic nervous system is all on or your parasympathetic nervous system is all on. It's kind of this continuum along that. And like you said, the, the sympathetic side is, well, well, the classic thing is fight, flight, or freeze. So that's the stress response, right? Mm-hmm. That's the like, okay, there's a rustle in the bushes over there. Is it a lion? Right. <laughs> you know, or what's going on? Like getting ready, getting prepared to literally survive, right? Yeah. That's the way that nervous system evolved to get you ready. So your heart rate goes up, your breath rate goes up, blood pressure goes up, you know, um, blood to the lungs expands. You get more blood flow to the lungs, you get more to the muscles, you get less to the stomach and all that kind of stuff to prepare you to literally fight, run away. Or, you know, the less ideal scenario is just stop and freeze and just don't do anything. But that's still a stress response. And then the parasympathetic, we call it like rest, digest, and then also really ideal. It's like, you know, procreate, right? You're not going to do that, you know. (laughs) You're not going to do that kind of stuff if you're not, if you're super stressed out all the time. You're not going to perform well, so to speak. I'll leave it at that with that. But (laughs) the same concept is is that when the parasympathetic nervous system is dominant, we're we're rested, we're relaxed, we're not stressed. Because we're in a safe environment, right? And then when the parasymp- or when the sympathetic nervous system is dominant, we are under stress, under load. Um, and I think a lot of us would understand the concept of in today's world, <laughs> our nervous system is not necessarily adapted to the world that we live in at the Absolutely moment. Absolutely not. Nope. There's lots of little stresses throughout the day. If you're driving to work, if you know, you know something weird happens, you get a phone call or something like that that stresses you out or you you go on Twitter and somebody calls you a name and now you're freaking out. Yep. So this sympathetic nervous system is just on overdrive all day long. Yep. So whereas, think of your cat, right? For example, mm-hmm. this sounds really weird. People are like, what? what that, was, <laughs> that was a 180 turn. But in a, a sense of, a, a cat can go from hunting or eating or being like super jazzed and revved up to literally the next minute asleep. Yep. Like that is a very like healthy nervous system response. Like they know they're not under threat. So they just go all the way back and downshift into parasympathetic. It's a major skill. Humans don't do that. Right. Humans are for better, for worse in our current situation. I think you could argue for worse Mm -hmm. are not good at doing that. So the breath, we can start with that and talk about that, how you can actually use that as a way to downshift and move yourself along that continuum to more parasympathetic dominance so that we can, feel more control of our environment. We can have less stress. We can sleep better. We can perform better because yep. we're not in this constant state of just like alertness and stress. Absolutely. And that's why I like to use really simple. And I'm talking like one minute breathing practices at the beginning of workouts and at the end of workouts. Cause what it allows my clients to do is teach their body to get into a relaxed state. Because like when we're warming up, we don't want to be like fight or flight. When we're warming up or we're in a, we want to be relaxed we want to, our body needs to be in that state. Um, and there's a difference between like wanting to be in a relaxed state and actually getting in, getting into a relaxed state. And that's why the breath is so huge because like if you can teach somebody to inhale, you know, for a certain amount of time and then exhale longer and focus on really getting all of that extra CO2 out, not only is it 
you know, expelling all this waste product, but it's teaching the body to relax and to actually chill out. Um, and like you said, in our environment today, in the world we live in, there are so many ways to get agitated and upset <laughs> and to be in a sympathetic state all the time where if you are, if you allow your body to be in a sympathetic state all the time, um, you know, your health in a lot of ways can, can decline. Um, so like really as simple as just teaching people how to exhale properly. Um, and uh, you know, I see a lot of really good coaches talking about like if they could teach clients one thing, it's exhale properly, mm-hmm. learn how to use the right muscles around the diaphragm to get all that stuff out. Cause if you can exhale properly and get into a relaxed state, you open up all these possibilities for movement, for life. It doesn't always have to be in the gym. It can be just like on your ride home from work, mm-hmm. you know, and you just had a long day. You're all fired up. You're all jazzed up about something. Heart rates through the roof and you're sitting down. <laughs> right. um, that's not good for your body, right? right? Like when you're sitting in a car driving, you should be in a more relaxed state. So what's the simplest way to switch over from like high, strong, sympathetic to relaxed? It's just the breath. You know, we talked about Andrew Huberman's double inhale, exhale drill that he gives to people. And it's like, there's no easier way to teach people how to get into a relaxed state than taking a double inhale and then exhaling out longer. Um, and just being able to do that and just starting there, even if that's just, you start there and you work on that for like weeks, Mm -hmm. you just work on that long exhale and it doesn't have to be all day long, but um, you know, a few times per day, consciously checking in on it and blowing everything out and really feeling your abdomen, feeling those anterior abs engage, um, can have so much positive carryover in so many different ways. Yeah. I think that's one of the big things we want people to take away from this is if nothing else, exhale fully more often than you do. Right. I don't know the last time a lot of people without thinking about it have actually exhaled all of the air they can possibly exhale, right? Like get everything out, really expel all your air and, you know, teach your body how to do that. Um, and it sounds kind of counterintuitive at first because what some, what sometimes happens for people is they start to do that. And then you have them like hold on an exhale, for example, that's the next step of this is that you, you take a long exhale and then you hold it when you have no air. Right. And people kind of start to freak out a little bit. Yep. And that's where we're starting to work on like almost like stress and anxiety tolerance a bit more. Right. Because you can hold your breath without after an exhale for a lot longer than most people realize right. you can do. And it's really just if you don't train your body to do it, it won't ever do it. Right. But, you know, that we just say this to help people understand that you can have more control over this, your mental state than you think. And the warm up and the cool down of a workout is a good example. Right. We want people to be in some sense sort of, I guess, like readiness. Like we want their readiness to come up when we're ready to work out. And then we want to ramp them off of it afterwards. Yep. A breath is a good way to do that before somebody's going to do a heavy lifting session. Do I want them to be like totally chilled out in the puddle on the floor? Like after like a yoga class or something? No, no, absolutely not. Definitely not. But I want them to be in a controlled state of readiness. Like I don't want them to be like, they just <laughs> yeah. like their five-year-old kid who just got into like a candy stash and is running, bouncing off the walls. Right. But I want them to be prepared. I want them to be focused and ready. Breath can be used to do that in a very specific way. Train, and then when we want, now we want to kickstart recovery. We want to get you to a parasympathetic state. We breathe in a specific way to bring you back off of that. Um, And the reason we talk about that more is because most people don't need help getting into a more stress, maybe not the right word, but a more heightened state, right? We're there a lot. Yeah. Right? 
And there are ways to be a little bit more deliberate about that to improve your performance. But most people in general, if they can have a tool to help them calm down a bit better, that is the shift we need to make, you know, on your way home, before you go to bed, when you're done working out. So very, very simply, like you said, inhale and then exhale longer than you inhaled. Yep. That's it. And then try to exhale completely. And it's funny when you teach people like to properly exhale and you mentioned this briefly, but you know, I would say eight out of 10 people just don't know how to exhale properly or just never, they, they probably couldn't tell you the last time they exhaled for more than four or five seconds. (laughs) Um, and when you teach people that like learning how to inhale, you know, and expand and then exhale and compress, um, we're like improving our aerobic system. You know what I mean? And like we evolved, I get, I get fascinated with evolution sometimes because like we evolved as sapiens to be aerobic machines. Like we were designed to move across large areas of land on feet. Um, we were designed to move and the state that the world is in right now, like we just are constantly restricting that and we're taking that away completely. Right. And so, like you said, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so if you don't teach these muscles, um, in your body, how to expand and compress properly, um, and you don't learn how to unload all that CO2, you're just leaving all this potential as an aerobic machine, no matter what you're doing. I say aerobic machine. I don't mean you have to be a marathon runner. I mean like just somebody who can move from A to B and can do it without losing their breath. Somebody can walk up the stairs without Mm -hmm. being, without, you know, hunching over because they're exhausted. Um, all this stuff starts with just knowing how to breathe properly. And the more I study it and I know you study it too, you just learn that there are actionable, simple ways to just kind of add it in. And it becomes ingrained in the, in, in our body. Like you say, like talking about motor patterns in the nervous system, you do it for a minute at the beginning of every workout, you do it for a minute at the end of every workout. And then when you're in the middle of a, an intense workout, you're going to start to like get into the shapes that you need to get into safely. Everybody is different. You know what I mean? So it's not going to have the same look, but the more you practice it in small little increments, it just starts to blend into the overall system. Right. So absolutely. Yeah. I think we've talked a little bit about the whole like, you know, state and that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of really cool, really interesting research going on about how people of various ages can learn to, you know, improve their anxiety and their control over and that kind of stuff. But Matt and I both understand we're, we're not professionals who work with that directly. So we're not going to try to talk about that, but if anybody's interested in that kind of stuff, please reach out because we can point you to some resources that can teach you more about that. Suffice it to say that that whole parasympathetic dominance thing, if we can get you more towards that, we, a lot of, there's a lot of good movements around teaching kids how to use that and understand their breathing a bit more. It can be a game changer for kind of mental health for some people. Yep. I'll kind of leave that there for now. The next piece that we wanted to talk about is kind of the that aerobic efficiency that you just brought up, which is a relation to oxygen and carbon dioxide. So most people, when they think of you know aerobic, obviously they think of oxygen because that's what that means. Like aerobic when, when that word is used, it means it's a metabolism of your body using oxygen. Like that's what that term means, okay? So most of what we do throughout the day, the vast majority of it is aerobic, meaning it's not a high enough intensity for you to need, again, this gets into, into some, some, some weeds with like human metabolism, but when you sprint, for example, you're not using fat as a fuel source. Right. You have to use other sugar or carbs, that kind of stuff. Um, but if somebody's out walking or somebody's in really good shape, you know, even running, 
longer distances and that kind of stuff. If it's at a low enough intensity, you're using oxygen as the as the way to create energy. Yep. So suffice it to say that. So it's fair that people think of oxygen a lot, but I think we need to think a little bit more about carbon dioxide because in the system of the body, those two things need to be in balance. And I think one thing that's always interesting for people to learn is that the cue for you to breathe is not lack of oxygen. It's buildup of carbon dioxide. That's the cue that your body, your brain gets of, oh, I need to breathe again. Carbon dioxide is too high. Mm -hmm. So that's one interesting thing too. And you actually do need some level of carbon dioxide in your blood. And really what we see and what research sees is that when people are highly aerobically efficient, really high level athletes, they are able to tolerate a higher level of carbon dioxide in their blood at a given intensity, for example. So the reason that that's important is because when you have a higher level of carbon dioxide, you actually use oxygen more efficiently as well. Again, the technical stuff is not that important, but it essentially helps to perfuse and move oxygen and carbon dioxide in and out of your system better when there's more carbon dioxide on board. And the other thing that that tells us is carbon dioxide is a stress. It's a stress hormone, not a hormone. That's not <laughs> right, right, right. It's a stress response of your body. It's a stress marker in your body. Yeah. So if you can tolerate a higher level of stress, meaning in this case carbon dioxide, you are better. You're in better shape. You're more fit, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know the reason we say that is just to think about carbon dioxide a little bit more. The basic way to think about aerobic efficiency in terms of carbon dioxide is how much carbon dioxide can you tolerate. Yep. And a way to measure that specifically is to measure how long you can exhale. Yep. Because what that's doing is can you control the mechanics of your breath and then can you continue to exhale, which means you're not taking in more oxygen and just time that mm-hmm. and you see how long you can do it. And we've both seen athletes who can do you know, 90 to 100 seconds of an extended exhale who are very carbon dioxide tolerant. Um, So, you know, we can talk a little bit more about kind of maybe how we work that into training, but I think that's just a good way to set the stage for how we talk about aerobic efficiency a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, people have various goals and and not everybody's trying to, you know, um, get out and move for 60 straight minutes at a super high heart rate, but that ability to take oxygen in, get it into the tissue and the blood, and utilize it efficiently and then unload CO2, um, you know, is just such an important part of that cycle that like, you know, when you're not efficient at it, you'll just notice that you're just, there's a, there's a buildup stress signal is sent to the brain. And that's why people get out of breath really quickly um, because it's just not in the balance, like you said. Um, So creating that balance and just knowing that you can do this subconsciously. It doesn't need to be something that you have to be thinking about every single work or like, oh, my breath's off or this or that. You know, when you notice it, just learn that you can get rid of stuff more efficiently by exhaling longer. Um, and then it has just this positive carryover effect to how you take oxygen in and how you get CO2 out. Um, so yeah, I think it's just trying to get people to know that you can take more control over um, your breath and the shapes that you get in and the positions that you get in just by simply learning how to do a few simple things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, and I think one thing too, I know that it was probably getting a little technical here, but we, <laughs> we warned you yeah. to be fair, <laughs> but again, I want to bring this back to something that's practical, right? So uh, I'm going to talk about this in the sense of an athlete, but then at the end, bring it back to, you know, your somebody who just wants to feel good, you know, be healthy, right? It, Cause it can be confusing. Cause we're talking about, Uh, high level athletes can tolerate a really high level of carbon dioxide 
And then we're talking about breathing well, meaning you can unload carbon dioxide and exhale better, essentially. So the reason we talk about this is that training and competing are two different things. Right. So if we are, if I'm training an athlete who wants to run a marathon or, or whatever in a certain time, we know them being more aerobically efficient is going to be a huge, huge help for them. So when we train, we want to actually build up carbon dioxide in their system and train at a high intensity so they learn to deal with that because what's going to happen over time is they're going to be able to tolerate more and more and more carbon dioxide, which means now they can work at a higher and higher intensity with that same level of stress, meaning now I can run, in this case, faster, but I can still tolerate that same that level of carbon dioxide. Yeah, you can extend that out longer, right? right? It's not like a small little um, burst of, of effort and then you're done. Right. The so, more you can tolerate it, the longer you can handle stress. Exactly. So that's the training piece where we're actually wanting people in a lot of senses to actually deliberately hold on to carbon dioxide by doing certain breathing patterns, that kind of thing. So they learn to utilize it more efficiently, tolerate it more efficiently. And then when it comes to performance, what we do is we combine that really now high level of carbon dioxide tolerance with really efficient dumping of carbon dioxide via certain different breathing patterns because there are ways that you can breathe in a very deliberate way to make sure you're getting all your carbon dioxide out. So we can combine those two things. It becomes a game changer for people. Yeah. You know, so that's the, that's the training versus the competition kind of piece of it. And if you, cause if you're constantly being really efficient at breathing and getting rid of all your carbon dioxide, you'll never learn to tolerate it. And if you're only learning to tolerate it and not get rid of it, then when the time comes for you to really execute as fast as possible, you're not necessarily going to be able to do that. So the athlete, that's what happens there. The lay person, I think they would say, well, why do I care if I can necessarily perform as well if my goal is just to feel a little bit better? Because if we train you to be able to tolerate more and more and more carbon dioxide, you're going to do better with any stress throughout your whole life. Your aerobic efficiency is going to be better. That's going to improve your general overall metabolic health, etc. So the training piece is more important for those people. They don't necessarily have to learn how to, you know, how to do super high intensity repeats yep. and dump all their carbon dioxide right away. Right. But that's how that would apply to that sort of actual kind of training. Yeah. And it's so important to know that we are so adaptable and, you know, I do talk a lot about how important it is to unload CO2, but you're absolutely right about having the capacity to withstand extra amounts of it and not breaking down so quickly. Um, and that's such an important thing. Um, you know, and it doesn't matter what type of uh, activity you're doing, whether it's running, whether it's playing a specific sport, cycling, doing CrossFit, um, that ability to just really just increase that tolerance. That word tolerance is so important is because we are so adaptable and resilient and we can tolerate a lot. We just have to teach our body how to do that. And really it's just like, it comes back to this connection between nervous system and the body and just knowing that like, the, the more you can um, create that variability and, and tolerance for your body, your body is going to allow you to do some pretty incredible things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the power of the breath just is just amazing. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, because that's what we talk about all the time, right? Like training is a stress. That's the point of it, right? You, when you go to the gym or you go for a run or you go for a swim or whatever it is that you're doing, you are deliberately putting your body under stress because you know it's going to lead to adaptations for your body so you can do better at whatever you want to do, right? And the vast majority of people are just better at life, right? Yeah. Like getting through the day, you know, feeling in my case, there's a lot of times people that are literally in pain and hurt. Mm-hmm. So we need to just improve their tolerance for just daily living life, whatever training they're trying to do, that kind of stuff. But 
you know, what, what better thing to do than to improve your, your body's efficiency with breathing and aerobic. Cause that's what you literally something that you're using all day long, you right. know, um, you know, squatting has a lot of carryovers to other things too, picking things up, you know, that kind of stuff going up and downstairs, whatever it might be. Yep. But literally breathing better has carryover to everything that you do. Yeah. And if you want like the connective tissues in your body to be able to withstand the rigors of life, you need to be able to create that balance of oxygen and CO2 out. Um, I, I said, wrote down a really good quote, but it was basically just like respiratory variability equals movement variability. So like the more you have different options with taking stuff in and getting rid of it, the more opportunities you have to really challenge yourself in different ways. So, you know, starting at a really basic level and then expanding, like you said, you're not going to teach somebody who's looking to do something super intense for a long duration right away. You're going to start basic and then we progress, but, um, it's just an amazing skill set. Yeah, for sure. And it's cool. and It's fun when you get into it. And I think something that a lot of people can kind of wrap their head around that makes sense is, um, the concept of breathing when we learn how to swim, mm-hmm. right? You know, people would say like, oh, I don't have to like worry about my breathing. And it's like, well, yeah, because you've been doing it since literally the first moment of your life. Uh, but when people learn how to swim, it becomes very obvious how if you if your breath and your mechanics and all that kind of stuff is not on point, you physically can't do it, right? right. I know there's everybody, almost everybody out there has the physical capacity to be able to swim because their arms can move the way they need to move, et cetera, et cetera, right? right? But they, I've, I know how many people I've met. I've, you know, most people know I've been a swimmer my entire life. That's mm-hmm. what I grew up doing. So it's a second nature kind of thing for me at this point, yeah. which is, I think, part of the reason why I got into some of the breathing mechanic stuff because it, it was something that I was thinking about from a very young age. Um, who I know people, plenty of people who could swim, but they haven't learned how to coordinate their breathing, so they, they just can't. They can't get across a, a pool right. because they haven't learned how to do that. So that just illustrates the point where if you're trying to learn a new skill – and you're trying to stack that on top of really poor breathing mechanics, you know, you're going to get through it because you're not literally underwater. Right, right. But it's probably not going to be super optimal. Yeah, and we, we want people to, you know, come to the gym or just whatever they're doing in life and, and give themselves a chance to um, do the things they want to do without restriction. You know what I mean? And, like, we, we start with this breathing stuff and we learn how to do it efficiently and it just gives us a chance to be able to do a lot of different things in life and not just get bogged down and restricted by such a simple thing with such an important thing. Yeah. And that's the whole point of, of training and stuff in general is what we all talk about. And there's all types of different ways to kind of talk about this, but I talk about the concept of a buffer zone a lot, or, you know, just having, we don't want what you're doing on a daily basis, whether it's just getting around your house or it's you train every day and you're a high level athlete. We don't want that to be, 90, 100% of what you're capable of every day. Cause we know if you do that for too long, something's going to break down. Yep. We want whatever you're doing on a given day to be a relatively small percentage of what you're capable of. Right. And that just takes this, you have to push yourself to, to kind of push that ceiling up occasionally. And then you have to recover. And that's the training kind of nuances here. But this is something that you can do throughout your day, throughout your life to help nudge that ceiling up consistently over time, because you're just, more efficient in general. Yeah. We can facilitate, you know, really hard work to create adaptation. Then we can facilitate recovery. You know, there's no better way to recover than learning how to get into that parasympathetic state through the breath. And that allows the body to regenerate and go through that cycle more efficiently. So 
Yeah, I think I I don't even remember where I heard this quote from, and I may have adapted it and paraphrased it, but um, you know, I think I heard somebody say a point. The trick to life is is not to not be stressed; it's to choose your stress. Right. Meaning, like you don't want to feel like the world is everything is happening to you, and you're being stressed, and then you're trying to like fend it off, and you're like this constant fight or flight. Frankly, you want to be able to say. I feel good. I feel well rested. I'm in good shape and I'm going to choose to challenge myself because really life is not really worth a lot. And if you're not, if you don't have some kind of purpose or some kind of challenge, so, but you want to be able to choose it. You want to say, Hey, like I want to be able to do X, Y, Z when I'm 80, 90, a hundred years old, hopefully. So what am I going to do today to facilitate that happening as opposed to just being like, I'm going to survive until I can retire and then I'll figure it out. And that longevity piece is why I fell in love with strength and conditioning and movement and now breathing um, is because like I want to be able to do this stuff years from now and I want to put myself in a position to do this stuff for a long time. And that's why I love working with people because I know I can help them to a very small degree learn that their bodies can really adapt and change and they can put themselves in positions to like choose and chase their passions with as much intensity or as little intensity as they want um, through just some, some practices that you, you and I like to implement. So um, it's just exciting to be able to give people that chance to chase things and, and become adaptable and, and go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, you know, we've talked about a bit about state and then we've gotten to the, the physiology conversation. So <laughs> people yeah. are still with us at this point. <laughs> Um, but what I want to talk about too, is just like the breathing, just the mechanics, the positions, the postures and that kind of stuff. Cause that's the other piece of this that we tend to want to look at and want to help improve. Um, you know, so why is it important to make sure you can breathe in a lots of different positions? So one thing that I, you know, I like to help people understand is that, you know, when we move, um, we want like to move optimally. There's certain positions that we want to get into. You know, we, I like to have people lie down on the ground and we're going to link to this, um, you know, the 90, 90 breathing, um, where just by teaching somebody that they can, um, create what I call a cylinder or a stack position. Mm-hmm. And I like to keep it as simple as that, where your ribs are going to line up right over your pelvis. Um, and if you can get that position where your rib cage and your pelvis are aligned, you're going to be able to breathe more efficiently. You're going to be able to get that air all the way into the back of your rib cage in between the shoulder blades, expand fully and then compress fully. And, um, that position of the ribs over the pelvis is so important because no matter what we're doing, um, that alignment is just going to keep us safe, you know? And, And when that alignment starts to go off a little bit, we start to see compensations and we see injuries occur. Um, and this isn't to say, getting into a proper stack is going to protect you from injury hundred percent of the time because that doesn't exist. All of us are going to get hurt. Right. But, um, I like to help people just understand, you know, I, I, I like to cue a lot, just find that cylinder, find that stack. Cause if I see people start to dump their pelvis forward a little bit, then I know they're losing it. And then if I can tell them to really tuck back in and find their abs, they're going to be able to perform more, mm-hmm. whether it's a bench press lying down or if it's squatting, standing up, that same thing applies. You want that cylinder. You want to be able to use that thorax and that section in the middle of the body most efficiently. Um, so literally what I tell people is we're going to start, we're going to get down on the ground and we're going to just learn how to find the pelvis, find the rib cage, and then learn how to line that up properly. Right. Yeah. And we're going to link to a lot of these, you know, quick little exercises and videos so, for people. 
I think well, the way I usually will describe, I use that same exact cylinder concept, right? So if we think about real quick here, most people can understand if we're talking about a cylinder in your trunk, right? The, you know, the abs and all that kind of stuff is kind of the wrapping, right? At your low back muscles, yep. all that kind of stuff. We think less about the top and the bottom of the cylinder. The top is your diaphragm, meaning like that's when you take a real big inhale while your belly kind of like moves outward is because your diaphragm is this big sheet of muscle that actually moves down to make room for your lungs. Yep. That's at the top. It's kind of a cap. And then underneath is your pelvic floor, pelvic bowl, which is a bunch of muscles and everything that gives you continuity in the bottom of the cylinder. So if you think about a cylinder, and I know I'm, you know, I'm making hand gestures <laughs> right now, but I'm trying to just kind of be as, as clear as I can with this. If you think about, we want that stack, the diaphragm, to be right on top of the pelvis, and it's a nice neutral position. If you get really arched and extended and your ribs are kind of flared up, those two things are not connected. There's a lot of space in the front. You can't use your abs effectively. If we get really slouched over the other way, now we're just crunched too far forward. And if you're just sitting at home, if you think about this, if you really arch your back, take a big breath, see how much you can get in, really slouch forward, see how much you can get in, and then find a nice middle neutral position, now you'll see that's the position we want you to be in. That's where you can get all this air in. And the reason we think about that is because being in that kind of neutral position means you're more adaptable. Mm -hmm. If I am in a neutral position in my spine, for example, I can flex, I can extend, I can rotate both ways, I can bend both ways, and I can adapt to my environment, my arms, my legs can move well. If I'm stuck in a weird position or I'm really taken to an end range, now I've lost that adaptability, I've lost that movement capability. So if an external force is put on me, I'm more likely to be in a less than ideal position. So that's why we think about that because we really sometimes think about breath control, thorax, trunk, whatever word you want to use as being the foundation for adaptability elsewhere also. Yeah, and we can put people in a lot of different positions. This this breath practice doesn't have to be lying on your back. With I like to have people lie on their back with their arms up so that their shoulder blades move apart a little bit and they mm-hmm. can really feel the air come into the back of the ribs and really expand three-dimensionally. But you can do this in a lot of different ways. You were talking about hanging from a bar and having people practice breathing that way. I'll have people stand or getting in a a kneeling position. And really the goal, no matter what position you're in, is to find the cylinder and then feel that section, that diaphragm expand. You want to be able to feel that that air come into the back. So much of us breathe in such a limited capacity, right? We don't really get to expand fully. So when you just get people to like for the first time in a long time, whether they're laying on the ground, they're kneeling, they're standing, feel that air come all the way into the back in between mm-hmm. the, in the shoulder blades. It's like life changing for so many people because then they realize how much better they feel when they can expand fully, really get all that air in and then do the opposite and compress in fully. And when you can compress in fully by getting all that extra air, uh, CO2 out, you feel your abs, you start to actually do a little bit of a crunch, right? <laughs> and people are, they don't even realize they're just gaining strength that way. They're getting yeah. stronger just by breathing. You know what I mean? But strength doesn't always come from lifting heavy weights. Yeah. Just learning how to position yourself properly is going to build a defense. Yeah. No uh, better ab training than by actually exhaling all the way and like feeling that full, like force all the air out. People are like, Oh wow. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's new. <laughs> and even like for myself recently, I, Um, and just because I'm a trainer, it doesn't mean I'm infallible to injury. You know, I was doing some back squatting with a friend, my ego got involved. I tweaked my like lower lumbar area and I made it a point to practice my breath practice even more than I did before. And I had this experience where I was laying on the ground and 
I was reaching up towards the ceiling and I actually felt just this uh, loosening up of tension just through breathing into that area. I was able to get breath, you know, my breath all the way into the back. I was able to exhale and it was on the exhale where I actually felt my obliques kind of, you know, get involved. And I felt this like loosening up and it was like this super cathartic moment where Mm -hmm. just through breathing, not through doing crazy stretches, not through manual therapy, which those things are all great in their own right. But just by breathing properly and exhaling properly and feeling the obliques and feeling all these exhalation muscles engage, I was able to loosen up whatever I aggravated. So right. it can be such a, 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 a life-changing thing when you can just slowly start to integrate it into your life. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so I think the way we'll think about mobility work a lot of times, especially when we're talking about like hips and shoulders, is can you move your hips and shoulders well enough whether you're hanging from a bar or you're picking weight up from the floor or running or whatever it is so that you can maintain the position of your trunk to continue to breathe effectively while your arms and legs do the work. If that's not the case, then maybe we have some work to do. Um, because, you know, I just put up a post not long ago about how shoulder mobility will affect back pain, right? If you can't reach your arms overhead and you need to get your hands up overhead, you're going to crank through your spine to get there, mm-hmm. which then means that cascade of now you're probably not going to be able to breathe as effectively and all these other things kind of pop up. So, um, you know, I think that's what we want people to take away is that you can, you can affect your postures, your positions, your mechanics, you can affect your efficiency, and you can also affect your mental state with a lot of this work. There's so many tiers to this, and we talked about... Um you know, how it's not just for one thing. There are uh, so many different options and you give yourself movement variability just by learning how to get air in properly and exhale properly. So, um, I'm super excited to continue to dive into this stuff. Like we said, we nerd out on it. (laughs) Um, and it's, that's not for most people. Um, but what we can do is just try to distill it in ways that, you know, our clients can, um, start to take more control over the things they feel, right? We, so much of, of fitness and movement and living is just feeling things, right? Mm-hmm. Feeling your feet on the ground, um, feeling that pelvis tuck, feeling the hamstrings light up when you actually <laughs> learn how to tuck your pelvis properly. Yeah. So many times I'm like, my cue for tucking the pelvis to create the cylinder is bring your back pockets towards your hamstrings, right? And when somebody does that and they actually feel abs and hamstrings, they're like, holy smokes, mm-hmm. you know, this feels like I feel I'm now in a position of strength. I'm not in a position of weakness. And when you just become the stronger human through positioning and breathing, you can just accomplish so much more. Yeah, so. absolutely. So we promise we're going to bring it back to some, some useful stuff. So I hope that that was interesting. I hope that was useful for people. But I think three things that we want to take away from this um, that are going to kind of be thinking about actually the three things that we talked about for, in terms of like state, mechanics, and then also just like the aerobic efficiency. So from that state standpoint, just do what we talked about. And we're going to link to um, a breath, you know, breath practice and some of the stuff you can do. But if you are feeling stressed, you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling very like fight or flight-ish, for lack of a better term, do that thing we talked about, whether it's that double inhale, quick double inhale and exhale, or just a nice slow inhale, a nice slow exhale, do both of them through your nose. It can be as simple as I'm going to take a three second inhale and a six to nine second exhale. Do a few of that, a few of those, you know, a couple times a day, start there, focus on exhaling a little bit more completely. That will help you relax. Okay. It's from the kind of mechanics perspective we're going to link to a video here it's just going to be a kind of a, like a, what we call a 90 90 position feet or hips and knees both at 90 degrees just learning to feel can i inhale fully can i use 
you know, all my rib cage, my diaphragm, etc. Inhale both in the front and the back and the sides and just start to feel some of that mechanical stuff going on. That's going to be a great way to start. And then from the aerobic efficiency standpoint, we're going to link a video that we've talked about before that talks about breathing gears and different ways to gauge your intensity when you're doing mostly aerobic work and understand how you can use nasal breathing, mouth breathing in a more deliberate way. And these are three relatively simple ways you can work this stuff into your life. And just consistency with this can make a giant difference. Yeah, and it's it's like anything else. You have to just slowly incorporate it and make it a part of your routine. And then once you do over a period of time, you're going to notice it's going to uh, just increase your options Absolutely. for everything. Yeah. So. so we encourage you, try those three things. Again, we're going to put those in the show notes. And if you have questions about that specific stuff, and or you want to go deeper, you want to understand this more, you are an athlete or um, somebody who's dealing with some of these things and, and sounds like, hey, I'd benefit from doing more of this, please reach out because we're here to help both Matt and myself. Um, and if, if anybody ever wants to go dive deeper into this, we're always happy to do I that. I love it. As yeah. you can hear. <laughs> yeah, send me a message and we can chat about it because I love this stuff. So, so both of our contact info is going to be in there as well. Um, you know, Thanks for listening, and we hope that this was useful, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks again for joining me, Matt. Thank you very much, Zach. Appreciate it. Cool. Hey, everybody. Just a few quick things before you take off. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and leave a review if you found this podcast useful. The Resilient Athlete Project is brought to you by Wagner PT and Performance in Lakeville, Massachusetts, where I work with athletes of all ages to relieve pain and keep them in the game. For more information, or if you're interested in working with me, either in person or via remote consult, visit my website at www.wagnerptp.com. Also, don't forget to follow Wagner PT and Performance on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and reach out if you have any questions. Okay, everybody, thanks again, and we'll talk soon.